week seven, week seven of this creed series where we're talking about what do we believe as Christians. It's one thing to say we believe this, we believe that, but do we really understand what we believe? And can we truly explain what we believe to people when they ask what we believe? Or are we just walking a walk, but we don't really know how to walk in the image of God. So we're talking about this creed series, what do we believe? It was said earlier on in this series, just a quick little summary because it's been a while. Um, it was said earlier on in, in the series that the creed is like the moon. You see, the creed doesn't give us the power. God's word gives us the power. The moon does not shine the light, but it reflects the light of the sun. It lets you know that the sun is there. And it's the same thing is true of the creed. As we read the creed, as we have listened to the creed read out loud almost every week to us, the creed reminds us of where the true power comes from, and that's through God and his word, the Holy Bible. So today we're talking about the creed. We're talking about week seven today, crucified, dead, and buried. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. This was the cost of our redemption. This was the cost of our redemption. And in Mark 10.45, I've got a lot of extra scriptures for you today, a lot of extra quotes. You don't have to look all these up. But in Mark 10.45, we read this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another one, 1 Peter 18, 1, 18 and 19 says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that a lamb without blemish or spot. And then lastly, Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves. Don't skip over that part. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As I said, we were in week seven of the Creed series, kind of article two, and we're in the central part of the Creed, and we have moved from the birth of Christ We've moved from the glory of God and the godly attributes. We've moved from the birth of Christ. And now we're in the central parts of our faith, the central truths of our faith, the central truths of our salvation. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried to raise again, to be victorious over our sins. But you may ask something like, but Pastor Patrick, why does the creed skip over all of Jesus' life? There's so much more there in the middle, like the Sermon on the Mount. Or the miracles of Jesus? What about all these great episodes of life? I mean, you can't just skip through an entire season of a show and just skip to the last episode and then know everything that happened before it. Well, in the creed, it does skip. But it's because the creed wants to make sure that you know that how just... This is the utmost of importance for your life. It wants to make sure that you know how important Jesus' death was. And it's because of that, that it doesn't just say, Jesus was born, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. You see, as we listen to this creed, it says Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. His sacrifice was the cost for our redemption. 
You see, forgiveness is hard, but it's not impossible. That's what we're talking about today. As I was thinking about this scripture and just thinking about what am I going to pull out of crucified, dead, buried. Crucified, dead, buried. And I just kept thinking about our forgiveness, our redemption, that this, Jesus being crucified, being dead, being buried, was the cost of our redemption. It is the cost of our forgiveness. And when you think about it that way, you think, wow, forgiveness is hard, isn't it? But it's not impossible. We have this great example from Christ that even us, in all of our sins, in all of our downfalls, in all of our depravity, could be forgiven. But only by the grace of God. Only because of Jesus Christ. Only because of His crucifixion, His death, and His burial. And more than that, ultimately, his resurrection, his victory over sin, which we'll talk about next week. But why crucified, dead, and buried? Again, as I read this, I thought to myself, it could have been so much simpler. In the creed, which let me read this part of the creed to you. Oh, I took it out of my notes. Oh, well, saved myself some time. Crucified, dead, and buried. It doesn't just say, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and died. It says Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, descended unto hell, and rose from the grave. It has more details. You see, I, I heard one pastor explain it this way. He said that as you read these words, Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and if you repeat those words over and over again, and you just close your eyes and you think, Jesus, crucified dead, buried, crucified, dead, buried, crucified, dead, buried. He said it's almost like a coffin being nailed shut. You see, I think these three descriptors of Jesus' death, and not just saying Jesus died, but it helps you understand the power behind that death. It helps you to realize that he really did die. It helps you to realize just exactly what he did for us. He didn't just die. He was crucified. Or as we talked about the other week, he suffered greatly under Pontius Pilate and under the, the Jewish leaders of the day, under us, under the regular people of the day. He suffered greatly. But then he didn't just suffer. He was crucified. And as you research a little bit into the Roman form of, of torture, which is what this was, and a penalty under death, crucifixion, I, one of the words I said was basically, they wanted you to feel like you were in hell before you went to hell. Now, Jesus should not be going to hell anyways because he was without sin. He was blameless, as we'll read in a moment. But he was crucified, dead, buried. Another pastor I read said that the creed repeats itself over and over again or in three different descriptor words, because there should be no doubt as to Jesus' death. The messianic sacrifice is exactly what we needed for redemption. There should be no doubt that Jesus did die. He fulfilled the prophecy. He fulfilled the law that we needed for life. Crucified, dead, buried. The death of Christ... And what happened before it, what preceded it and proceeded it, before and after, was not new news to his disciples. 
But his disciples didn't understand. You, you see, Jesus had taught them several times. He had told them several times what would come. He told many of what would come, but they did not understand. Jesus himself knew what was coming as well, obviously, and he endured it willingly. You see, the, the cross is a stumbling block to many. You've heard that before. The cross is baffling to many. And as I was studying, as I was reading, one commentary took the approach of talking about the three different reasons why people do not like the cross of Jesus Christ. And one of them is because they, they feel that it shows this image of a loving father sending his son to die. Like if Jesus was not in control. It says against his own will... God the Father sent his son to die, but we know from Scripture, if you believe it all, which is what you should, that Jesus did not do it against his will. Jesus did it willingly. He endured our, our, our pain, our suffering for us willingly. But then he also talks about the reason people don't like the cross is because to acknowledge the power of the cross, it also acknowledges that they know they need the cross. It makes them acknowledge that they're sinners themselves. It also makes them realize that they're not all powerful themselves. They can't save themselves. They can't earn their own way to heaven through good works. No, we needed Jesus. We needed his crucifixion. We needed his, his, his death. We needed his burial. All of this for forgiveness. Wow. Forgiveness is hard. But it's not impossible Mark 9, 31 and 32 says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. You see, Jesus told his, his followers exactly what was going to happen. But they did not understand. But Jesus would tell them over and over again. You see, we've been told over and over again what we need for forgiveness. We've been told what we need to do to forgive others. But just like the disciples, we struggle to grasp onto this knowledge and fully take it in and understand it in a way which it changes our lives. We need the truth. We need all the truth. We need all of this because you cannot be saved on your own doing. You cannot be a believer of Christ, a follower of Christ, without believing in his life his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of it. John Piper said, This is what it means to be a Christian. To embrace the whole Christ, the suffering Christ, the risen Christ, the reigning Christ, the coming Christ. Before I give you more quotes and a lot more talking, let's read that Luke 23, since you should all definitely have it open by now, right? I do not have it on the board in front of me, I apologize, but you do have pew Bibles in front of you, and I'm sure everybody has a cell phone with a Bible app. If not, I encourage you, delete Candy Crush and load the Bible app. All right, Luke 23, and for the sake of time, we're going to read from verse 32 to 49 as we focus on the crucifixion and death of Christ. Now, let me also give you, if you're writing notes, you can write down... Mark chapter 15, and Matthew 27, and John 19. These are other scriptures where you can read about Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I can't give you the full story today. We only have a little bit of time. 
but we look forward to digging in deeper in future weeks. Luke 23, starting at verse 32, I read this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, at first thought, you might say, think that was the criminal actually pleading with him. Are you the Christ? Please save us. But you've got to look at the context. You've got to look at the words before it, the words after it. And really, if you cross-reference, look at other scripture, like in Mark chapter um, 15, I believe it is. You see that these criminals beside him are also mocking him. It actually says, again, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Railed at him. He's mocking him. He's making fun of him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us then. But the other one rebuked him. Again, why would this other one rebuke him if it's not because this criminal wasn't meaning this, what he said sincerely. Now we do know from other scripture again that both criminals at one point were mocking him. But now this one criminal is starting to see the light. He's starting to realize, okay, what I'm saying, what I'm doing is wrong. Now let's read on. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Even the criminal beside him realized this man was blameless. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there is a lot we can bring out of this scripture. There's a lot I could expound upon, but I'm going to focus again on this forgiveness part. But let me give you a little bit of depth here first. I mean, there's certain things you might be thinking and working our way back from the end. When they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. You might, like me, be saying, well, yeah, what? They returned home beating their breasts? What does that mean? They returned home. I am Tarzan? I mean, what did they? No. So, again, 
It's so important when you're reading God's word to cross-reference. Look up the other scriptures. Now, I saved you some time. I did it for you. And when you cross-reference, you see that they were so frustrated. They were so angered at their own, their own selves for what they did by putting Christ on that cross. Now that they see what really happened, now that they're realizing surely this was the Son of God, surely he was the Messiah, they are so saddened by what they did that they returned home beating their breast in sadness, in frustration, in anger at themselves. But as we work our way up, I want you to see this. These people, they scoffed at him. They mocked him. They crucified him with great suffering. You see, the cross, this crucifixion method was not some pain-free method of death. It wasn't like the the lethal injection method they use today. I'm sorry, children, but they inject you with a sedative that puts you to sleep and you, you die a pain-free death. It wasn't like a firing squad where maybe of times of old where, sorry parents for getting gruesome, but, but firing squad, a, a way of, of um, death by firing squad where you may have had that great anticipation of death, but it still was pain-free because one shot and you're dead. No, they hung him on a cross, and we as Christians, a lot of us have cross necklaces. We have cross bracelets. We have cross shirts. For some reason, we think the cross is beautiful. But when you look down upon it, you see that the method of, of the suffering that Jesus endured, he was flogged, his skin was ripped apart. He had nails driven into his hands and his feet. He had nails, holes driven into him. He was ripped apart. He was exposed. He was tortured. And then he was hung on a cross. This excruciating death exposed in a way which normally people would die a slow, agonizing death, suffering as they couldn't breathe. They couldn't lift themselves up to get a grasp of fresh air. This is what Jesus did. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? Jesus did all this for forgiveness of our sins. He paid the cost of our redemption so that we could be saved. It wasn't impossible for us to be forgiven. It's not impossible for us to forgive the people around us either. But we need to look to Jesus as an example of forgiveness. And we need to sacrifice some of our own feelings, some of our own wants, some of our own desires to forgive others. But why? I'm kind of skipping around in my notes. Why do we wear this cross around our neck? Why, how can it be such a beautiful thing? It's beautiful because he did it for you. He did it because he did it for me. It's beautiful because he did it for all of us, but it's beautiful also because Jesus isn't a victim here. We're talking about his crucifixion, his death, and his burial, but we know that he rose again and he was victorious over our sin. That is what's beautiful about it. But let me move back for a moment. We're still working through this. And at the beginning it says, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, these people, Jesus recognizes, they don't know what they're doing. If they truly realized who Jesus was... They would be bowing before him and worshiping him for all of eternity like we know we will in the future someday. They would not be hanging him on that cross. Jesus knew that what they were doing, they didn't truly understand. 
And Jesus forgave them. Despite all that they were doing to him, Jesus told the Father to forgive them. But then he goes on. They continue to hang him. They continue to mock him. The leaders, the people, the criminals. And then you see this great picture that forgiveness continues, you see. As the one criminal on his side says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus even forgave the criminal that was to his side. I see this example of forgiveness and how Jesus went through all this. Forgiveness is hard, but not impossible. Jesus went all, through all this so that we might have opportunity of forgiveness. I think of the Staples easy button. Anybody remember that old easy button? That you can just push that easy button and anything you need just appears? Jesus gave us an easy button. God gave us an easy button. We can push this button and we don't have to pay for our sins because Jesus paid for our sins. We don't have to earn our salvation, earn our forgiveness, and we never could because Jesus gave us forgiveness. But then I thought about the easy button. I thought, do we give that same easy button to people around us? Or do we hide that easy button? Or do we hold this easy button nice and high like a Doug Warson high because he's a lot taller than me? Do we hold it high enough because we want to see the person that made us suffer. We want to see them suffer. We want to see them jumping up and down trying to get that easy button. We want to see them seeking the forgiveness. And maybe we hide the easy button in a way because we think, like we know, we could never earn our salvation. We could never earn our forgiveness on our own. So we think they're not worthy of earning their, their forgiveness. They're not worthy of earning their salvation, so we hide it. That's not the example we see of Christ. Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, descended to hell, rose again. We'll talk about that next week, all so that we could have forgiveness. Now, I'm kind of making a whole new sermon now at this point, so I'm just going to say a few quotes here, and we're going to move on. Craig Rochelle quotes, he says this, Forgiveness doesn't change what happened in the past, but it can change what happens in the future. Mark Driscoll says, Forgiveness has not completed its cycle until it goes from Jesus to you to the person who hurt you and continues on from there. Another quote, and again, I'm getting at this point, Forgiveness is hard but not impossible, and forgiveness needs reciprocated to others. Another one here is forgiveness allows you to shift your focus from the one who hurt you to the one who heals you. Again, forgiveness is hard, but it's not impossible. God hated sin so much that he made a way for our sinful problem to be taken away. And that problem is Jesus. Now, we still suffer under sin every day because we live under a fallen world. We still suffer every day with falling victim to it. But we don't need to. We can go to Christ every day and ask for his forgiveness, and we can ask for his help. You see, we have been forgiven, but we also need to forgive those who have sinned against us. But do we? Do we do that? Jesus said that they will know we are Christians by our love. Do we show people the love of Christ? Do we reciprocate that love? I'm not saying it's easy. 
I'm not saying we don't all have problems or people from our past which hurt us. I'm not saying that's easy. Forgiveness is hard. But as we see from the life of Christ, it's not impossible. Pass it on. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Matthew 6.14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I had a pastor who used to tell me that I am commanded to forgive you. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to trust you right away. Now, and he would say, it doesn't mean that I'm going to forget what's happened in the past. We are commanded to forgive, and God does forget. He says, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. You're the ones that continue to remember them. We're the ones that continue to suffer from our, our history or our memories of what we did. But God says, move on. Move on. God wants us to move on. He wants us to allow other people to move on too, to live in a way, live in a life which glorifies God. But as long as we're holding people and reminding them of what they did, they can't move on to that future that glorifies God. They're too busy earning their salvation from you. It's kind of a powerful statement, isn't it? We're making people earn their salvation from us when they really shouldn't be doing that. They should be living a life worthy of the calling of God, not you. Moving on here again, forgiveness is hard but not impossible. We see Christ's example of this. We need to stop looking at all the bad news, take a moment to smell the daisies per se, and see what God has done for us through Jesus, through his suffering, through his death, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And we need to spread this news to someone around us. So here's the bottom line about forgiveness. I've summarized it in four steps, four points here as we wrap up. Point one, we need forgiveness. Everyone has done wrong. Everyone needs forgiveness from God. Step two, point two, we can, underline can, we can receive this forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you can receive forgiveness from God. But we need to cry out to Him. We need to repent. We need to realize what we've done. We need to ask for His forgiveness. And we need to turn away from our sins and follow after Christ. We need to live righteous ways, in, in God's righteous ways, and not our own. We need to trust and obey the Savior, surrender to Him. Point three is this, and again, this was kind of the, the longest part of this message. Point three, so again, point one, we need forgiveness. Point two, we can receive forgiveness. Point three, we must forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We should use his sacrificial forgiveness as an example to follow. You see, people, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to read from Mark chapter 8 in a moment as we wrap up with a little bit more scripture. You're welcome to open Mark 8.31. Mark 8.31. The people in that day did not want a sacrificial Messiah. They wanted a Messiah which was going to make everybody else sacrifice around them. They wanted a Savior who was going to come and put the Roman government to their knees and anybody who, who had hurt them. But Jesus was a sacrificial Messiah. And that's what he was trying to tell these people and that's what they needed. 
we too need to be sacrificial in how we forgive others. We need to look to not our own will or our plan, but we need to look to God's plan. I shared last week from our Sunday school class, I love this quote, I've used it a lot. You have a perspective, I have a perspective, and God has a perspective. God's perspective is the one that matters, and his is the one we should be molding ours into. We must surrender to his perspective. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, that Mark 8.31 says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. So again, Jesus is foretelling again of his death. And it says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. But pay attention to this next statement. And Peter took him aside and begun to re rebuke him. Now Peter, the man who is referred to people as God's spokesman, Peter's rebuking who? Talk about some courage. Peter was rebuking Christ here and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his Christ, cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake... And the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here's the bottom line here. Because Jesus has forgiven all of your wrongs, you can forgive anyone for the wrongs they've committed against you. Here's the bottom line here. Peter was looking to what he wanted. They were looking to what they wanted. But Jesus knew what we needed. And Jesus was trying to prepare them and tell them exactly what would happen. But they wouldn't understand until it happened. We struggle with that too. We try and tell God what we want. We try and tell people what we want. We try and get what we want, but we need to mold our perspective into God's perspective. We need to look to not what we want, but what God says we need to do. As Jesus said there to him, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. We need to set our things on the minds of God, mind of God. And this is many different things. I'm just addressing one topic of forgiveness is hard but not impossible. We need to forgive others as we've been forgiven. I'm not saying that's easy. It is hard. I'm not saying that doesn't take time. But we need to look to Christ. We need to look to God. And we need to look to the spirit that's within us for strength and knowledge on how to do so. And point four, we need to ask for his help. Point four, finally, is this. We must forgive ourselves, too. We must forgive ourselves, too. And we struggle with all these points, but especially those last two points, as it sums it all up very well. Forgive others, but also forgive yourself. You are forgiven. Forgiveness was hard, but it wasn't impossible. But God knew that the only way to forgiveness was through Jesus. And he went and endured that crucifixion, that death, that burial, willingly for you. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace. Don't let Satan keep reminding you of your past and your problems and steal your peace from you. You can have peace, but you need to dwell on the words of God. Dwell on his promises. Dwell and meditate on his word, not on your past. Dwell on the future that God can do for you. I thought about the hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have your sins been washed away? Are you white as snow? Because you could be. Cry out to Jesus today. Ask God to forgive you and repent. Turn away from your sins. But then make sure you reciprocate that forgiveness as well. Again, forgiveness is hard, but it's not impossible. Move that easy button down. Put it in front of somebody. Show them the grace of God. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's close in prayer. And there will be no worship song to end, um, but a reminder to those kindergarten through eighth graders, please head over to the gym right away for some instructions on the Christmas program. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this great day which we have to come together, and it's a great day because we do get to come together freely. It's a great day because we can cry out to you, Lord, for forgiveness, and you will give us the forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for salvation, which is so free and clear. We thank you for Jesus paying the price for us, being a, a propitiation for our sins, for justifying us and for continually every single day sanctifying us and helping us to become more and more like him. Lord, help us to become like him by forgiving those who have harmed us. Help us to look to the one who healed us to help somebody else be healed as well. And Lord, help us to never forget, never forget the power of the crucifixion for forgiveness. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. And don't forget, Ben Carlson's here. Talk to him here before Sunday school.